would you turn to Ephesians chapter 3? We are continuing our journey through Ephesians, and today we are in chapter 3. I had someone that listens to me online, uh, listens to the sermons online, and they said, why is your nose always stopped up? <laughs> Thank you for that professional opinion. I love you. They're probably listening right now. No, it's, yeah, they're close enough that I can, uh, we can joke around like that. I get down here and I get to crying and praying and having a good time with the Lord. I can... It's not a dry well. Praise the Lord. Ah, I love the word of the Lord. Folks, I just got excited about this and I started spending time studying. I've got, I mean, I've got pages of things here that we won't be able to get with, but I, I'm going to try to stay concise and stay with the point, and we may not get all the way through chapter 3. But let's continue the journey together. The book of Ephesians is such a beautiful instruction, portrayal, challenge to the body of Christ. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church while he's in prison, and uh, he's... Talk, he talks about, we talked about last week, he talks about where they came from, where they were at one time, where they are right now in the Lord, and where, what God wants to accomplish through them. So um, we're in that journey as well, and we're going to just start with verse 1, and uh, I, just, I, I just called the sermon Revealing the Mystery. So let's, let's go on, and, and Paul starts out, and he said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. That he, I'm sorry, for this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he starts adding a parenthetical phrase, and we're going to pause right there, because he started out with something that we don't need to miss. He said, for this reason, and we need to go back and find out, for what, what's he talking about? For what reason? What is the reason that he was talking about? So in order to do that, you have to jump back to the previous chapter and he went through a whole lot of things in the previous chapter. I'm not going to re-preach that. You can go back and listen to last week. But if we look at verse 19 and start there, he kind of recaps what he'd been talking about. He spent some time talking about the Gentiles and how one time they were excluded. They were outside of the, the promises of God. They weren't a part of that inheritance. He says, consequently, you are, but now in, where they are, where the Gentiles are, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Amen. I'm a part of that right there. That's, that's my story. I'm not an outsider anymore. I'm a fellow citizen with God's people and a member of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. We talked about that last week. I'm trying not to go there. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to get into something. I'm wrestling with it. I'll be able to come back to it a little bit later, I think. Anyhow, Paul says for this reason. So he's looking back at these Gentiles that at one time were excluded, but now are included. And now 
At one time, they weren't citizens, they weren't members, they didn't have a part of the promise, but now they do. They've been in included. At one time, they weren't a part of the building, but now they've been included, and the Holy Spirit's come to dwell in them by, uh, I mean, they're being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So, um, uh, what is the term they use when, you're, when you build a new house before someone can move in? You have to get a what? A CO means what? Certificate of occupancy. God issued the CO and came and dwelled in us by the Holy Spirit. He's come into the residence. He's come to dwell with his people and equip us and empower us and lead us into all truth. I love that. You can go to John chapter 14, 15, and 16 and see about the work of the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus promised what the Holy Spirit would do. But Paul says, for this reason, it was that reason, the Gentiles being included, it was that reason the Gentiles being built up. It was that reason that the Gentiles too had the opportunity to participate with the promise of God and to be filled with His Holy Spirit and to do the works of the Lord. That Paul has been made a prisoner. He said, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. It's interesting because physically Paul at this time was a prisoner to the Romans. The Romans had taken him captive, and I love the fact that in the midst of his imprisonment, where he is physically in, in, incarcerated, that Paul's more conscious of the fact that he has been constrained, that he has been taken captive by the Lord, that his service and commitment, his dedication, his, uh, his incarceration, as it were, is really to the Lord, that he's dedicated himself to the Lord. So he doesn't even see, if you go back and read in, in uh, Acts, you see that that. Paul made an appeal to Caesar, which caused him to have to be transported over. But he saw that as an advantage. He saw it really as an opportunity to be able to get the message over to Rome. And so he allowed himself to be incarcerated in order to get over to Rome to be able to preach the gospel. So Paul says he's a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. And something else that's interesting, you know, he's specifically writing to the Ephesians here. I don't know if you realize this, but at that moment in, I believe it's Acts chapter 21... Uh, I could, I could clarify for myself, but anyhow, yeah, Acts chapter 21, 29, when Paul went to, to Jerusalem to take the gifts that the churches were giving to the church in, in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem was going through a famine, they were going through a difficult time, they were impoverished and, and without food, uh, when it became known that they had given their life to the Lord, there were many of them that lost their businesses, that were not able to continue to do commerce as they had been doing before. They were kind of censured by the community, and so it become a hardship on the, on the, the church in, in uh, Jerusalem. But the outlying church in the Gentile community were sending an offering through Paul to be a blessing to them to help provide food and provide for their needs. And Paul comes with some from other churches that they are escorting that offering to Jerusalem for the early church. And uh, Paul took one Trophius with him, uh, when he went, and Trophius was an Ephesian that went to Jerusalem, and it was this Trophius that the that the Jews saw with him and, and thought that maybe Paul had brought this one into the temple. And so it was, there was actually um, a, a, a believer from Ephesians that was with him in Jerusalem, and Paul's incarceration was possi po uh, possibly or even in part because he had brought someone from Ephesus uh, to Jerusalem along with that offering. And uh, so when he says that 
he says that he was a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. It was really Paul's ministry from the Gentiles and his being an emissary, a representative of that, that caused him to be incarcerated. Okay, that was a whole, way, a whole lot uh, around that to get to that point, right? <clears throat> surely, verse 2, surely you've, lear- you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written. Many of you already know this. Some of you may not know this, that Paul had a unique ministry because the, in, the inclusion of the um, Gentiles into the Jewish community was something that was actually acceptable to the Jewish people within certain parameters. If a Gentile was willing to convert to Judaism, if they were willing to go through all the, the, the training, the instruction, and then go through the process of giving up their Gentile heritage, they could become a proselyte and they could be accepted in the Jewish community. They would be allowed to take on a, a new identity and be included in the community of Israel. And so that was something that was not uncommon uh, to the Jewish people. As long as you meet these parameters and you're willing to walk this way, then we will accept you into our community. It was a strange thing to some when Peter went to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 and and he was moved by God. You know, a Jewish person didn't go into a a Gentile's house because the Gentiles were considered unclean. A Jewish person didn't eat with Gentiles because that was considered unclean, that they would contaminate themselves. When a Jewish person went into a foreign country or passed through a territory that was controlled by Gentiles and, went, and they came back to Israel, they would shake off their garments, stomp off their feet so that no dust from that unclean area would even enter into Israel. There was a real constraint. They, did not, they, they considered everybody else unclean and they were a, a people holy unto the Lord. So that was the mentality that was there. And then God tells Peter to go to Cornelius' house, who was centurion, and to share the gospel with him. And, and, and Peter's, you know, he's spiritual. He's one of the, the inner circle of, of Jesus, the, one of the 12. And, and uh, he says, God, please, no, don't, don't get me to do this. There was a vision of a, a sheet coming down to heaven, had all kinds of unclean things. Am I speaking quickly? Need to slow down? The sheet comes down from heaven. There's all kinds of unclean animals, things that they weren't allowed to eat on that sheet. And the, the Lord instructs him to eat of these things. And Peter says, no, Lord, I haven't eaten, I haven't never done this in my whole life. I've never eaten these unclean things. And the Lord says, don't call unclean the things that I have called clean. And that vision was representative of the fact that God was getting ready to send Peter to Cornelius' house, a Gentile household, a Roman centurion's household of all people. He was a God-fearing man. But not only was he a Gentile, he was, of the Roman, he was a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion who was controlling um, uh, Roman soldiers that were dominating Israel with the Jewish people. And God sends Peter to Cornelius' house. We know the testimony of the story is that Peter begins to share with them the story about Jesus and what Jesus accomplished at Calvary, and, and at that time, all of a sudden, the household, they started speaking in tongues. Wow, they, they didn't give an altar call. They didn't get them baptized yet. They didn't go through all the ABCs and one, two, threes of it. All of a sudden, in their believing, there just became an outflow of the Holy Spirit for them, and they start speaking in tongues. And 
everybody was startled that even Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit. And it became a point of debate in the Jerusalem church when Peter went back and reported to that, and they were amazed and delighted that the Lord had granted even the Holy Spirit to Gentiles. So Paul follows after that, and he is given another revelation, and he is sent as a a Jew's Jew. He he had been trained in Judaism. He was zealous for, for Judaism. He persecuted the church because he was so concerned about the contamination that was coming through these Jewish people. They were saying that Jesus was the Messiah, and he wrestled with God, but we find that God met him on a road and he fell off of his, his uh, transportation there, um, and uh, I can't remember if it was a donkey or a colt or whatever it was he was riding on. But anyhow, he, he, was, he was struck blind by the Lord appearing to him, and uh, God gave him a special commission, and that was to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. So that was his administration or his calling. And we find that... Um, you know, after some years of, of preparing and, and even doing the work, uh, Paul had to come back to Jerusalem. He met with the council in Jerusalem just to confirm with them that what he was doing was, was an acceptable thing. And they, um, they ended up, uh, Paul was accepted as, a, as, as one who had been sent to be able to reach the Greeks. So anyhow, God was moving among the believers for them to understand that the Greeks too would be coming in. But Paul had a full revelation of it. There were others that were part of the body of Christ that wrestled with it and they were trying to make them conform again to the legal aspects of Judaism. But Paul recognized that this stewardship, the kingdom of God, was greater than a legal form or a formula. Whereas the, the, I I don't want to tangle you up in all this type of stuff in too much detail, but I know we're going there. Um, But in other words, what Paul saw that the Gentiles were being called to do was much bigger than than just them coming in and becoming a part of Judaism. Jesus had established a new covenant. It was much bigger than what had gone on before. But there was a certain administration, he calls it here. You have heard of the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's speaking to Gentiles. And that is a mystery made known to him, made known to Paul, by revelation. As I have already written briefly. Let's go on to verse 4. In this reading, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So what's going on here? If you go into Scripture, if you look up, prophecies of gentile conversion prophecies about gentiles you will find that you can go way back in scripture and find that there are prophecies throughout the old testament about gentiles coming to the lord about them being drawn to the lord i mean if you go back and look at abraham in in genesis chapter 12 15 17 the promises of the covenant to abraham included the influence it would have on the nations of the world which is the Gentiles. It's not just about, about uh, Abraham and his descendants. It's about the Gentiles and the nations of the world being blessed, all the nations of the world. There are so many scriptures. It's voluminous. So um, I just want to encourage everybody today to go look up all of those scriptures and memorize them before tonight. Uh, uh, there's a lot of really good scriptures out there that, that uh, speak about that, and we're not going to take the time to speak about it today. 
But there was another dimension to the understanding that did not come until Paul had revelation of it. In other words, basically, everybody is saying, this is our camp. This is the boundaries of our camp. If you come through the door the right way and you're cleaned up and look okay and and you're doing things the way we want you to, to look so that you can conform to our camp, then we will embrace you and allow you to come in and you can be a part of the house of Israel. What Paul saw was that what God was doing was a whole lot bigger than the nation of Israel. It wasn't just about Israel having a whole influx of people, but it was about God setting the, the universe, the earth, and all that's in it back in a different kind of order. And that is that, um, in other words, Israel had been a vehicle. This may be a little bit radical for some of you, but the, Israel was a vehicle for God to get the message out and to God to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. But incorporating or encompassing what God did with Israel, there was a bigger plan that included the earth. God's intent was to bring the gospel to all mankind. God's intent was to bring restoration and bring people to, to himself. Those who would, those who, who were willing, God was in extending the tent pegs of his kingdom to, to incorporate all who would be willing to come to him. And it wasn't just within the house of Israel. And uh, there's just so much loaded here that I, I don't have time to, do, to, to, to really get into uh, 16 pages. I'm not going there for sure. Um, but basically, he says, look, there's people that, that wrote Scripture that really didn't have a full understanding. There's things that were revealed in the past, but they didn't have, it said it wasn't made known to, it says, some says the sons of men, and some says to people or to generations in the past. They didn't have a full understanding. They didn't see it all. But now God has, by his spirit, has opened this up and revealed it. Um, I'm going to move on because I, I, can't, I, I, can't, I, I can't just go invasive and spend a whole lot of time there. That wasn't where my heart was in this. This mystery, verse 6, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heir together with, with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of God. So let's just pause there in verse 6. This is a synopsis of the mystery that was revealed to Paul. And I'm reading out of the NIV here. The NIV actually has, uses the word together three times in this passage. I kind of like the way that, that read. So um, there's other scriptures that, that, that word it well. But here, just because it's succinct, it says that first, the mystery of the gospel is the Gentiles are heirs together. We are heirs together. We were once outsiders, had no part of the heritage. We had no part of, of, of uh, God's plan. But now we're heirs together. We're heirs together with Christ, the Scripture tells us. That's powerful. Heirs together. Just anything that, that and I'm, let me just preface with this, folks. I know that there's a lot of different sentiment about Israel and the, the, the Jewish people and things like that that expressed, expressed throughout the body of Christ, I'm going to just say that I am 100% in support of, of, of the Israeli nation. I pray for them. I pray for their leadership. I don't have blinders on to think that, that they are all 
holy and perfect or anything like that. I don't see it that way. There's a lot of them that just flat out reject God. There's a lot of them that are very secularized and they may hold on to a heritage, but they do not hold on to a faith. They don't, some of them don't even think of God as being real. And so they have a formula and a process that they go through where they do rituals because it's tied to their heritage, but not necessarily tied to an intimacy or a hunger for God. But I believe that God's going to move in them. I pray for them. I support things that, that are reaching out to them. I, I want to help be a protection because I, I, I still believe God says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that's not just about a city, but it's about a people. So Scripture tells us in Romans that we have been blessed by the fact that for a while they're, they're walking in a, in a shadow or walking darkly, but we've been blessed with the light, and God's going to also visit them again. So that's my perspective, and that's where I am. But folks, God's plan was not just for them, and what they were heirs to with regards to the promise of God, we as Gentiles have been included in, so we are heirs together. It also says... <coughs> that while Gentiles were excluded, that, that they are now also members together of one body. He said last week that there was an exclusion with regards to, uh, at one time the Gentiles were on the outside, that there was a wall of division. There was a barrier separating the Gentiles from the Jew. We spoke about that curtain last week in the, in the tabernacle where the Gentiles were not, uh, or in, in the temple where the Gentiles were not allowed to come on the inside of that because they were outsiders. And it says that God has demolished that wall of separation. There is no longer a distinction between uh, a God-fearing Jewish person uh, uh, and someone who is a, a Gentile, that we're together as one body. It also says that we are sharers together in the promise of Christ. We, we spoke earlier today in, when, when I was praying about God demolishing strongholds. So while we can talk about this in theological terms and talk about this in historical terms, I want to just tell you something. On a personal level, if you in any way feel like there is a barrier, if there is a hindrance, if there is a separation, that the promises of God, that the inheritance in the Lord, that being knit together with the body of Christ, if there's anything going on in your heart and in your mind that stands in opposition to that, if there's anything in your heart, you're a believer, and you're, you've come to church, or you're trying to live your life for the Lord, and something is telling you in your heart that, that somehow you don't measure up like other people measure up, that maybe you're the, uh, oh my goodness, there's, there's things that I was going to say that just are really not very PC. I'm liable to step on somebody's toes or something like that. But somehow that you are or alienated or separated or you're not a part of God's family. It's a lie. It's a stronghold. It's the enemy trying to deceive you and keep you from all that God's promised to you. I, I'm speaking believer to believer. You know the enemy uses insecurity. The enemy, you may see God move through somebody else and somehow you feel like, man, I just wish God would move through me that way. Can I tell you what happens inside of me? <laughs> I love to hear a good testimony. I love to hear about somebody getting, ministering to somebody and, and praying for someone to be healed and all that type of things. But I'm going to tell you, there has been a time in my life where it has been, man, I wish God would do that type of thing in me. But what happens inside of me is, God, if you can do that through them, you can do that in me. If you can do that through that person, I, I want to do that too. 
There's, to me, I'm, I, I, you may interpret it differently, but to me it's a righteous jealousy. If God can do that through somebody, why not here? If God can do that in Pensacola, why not here? If God can send a revival back then, why not now? If God can set people free somewhere on the streets in New York City or something, why not here? I believe, I believe it's a, a jealousy for the things of God just because if God shows that he wants to do it and he wants to do it in one place, I don't believe he's a respecter of persons and he would hold that back from us. So why not here? So I want to just challenge you. If there's something in your heart that's, that, that every time you start to approach a promise of God and somehow you feel like you're disqualified or somehow an opportunity arises for you able to minister on behalf of the Lord and somehow you feel like you don't know enough or you're not trained enough or you don't have the... What is that? I don't know. Anybody know what that word is? Huh? Chutzpah? That's a Jewish word, right? If you don't feel like you've got what it takes to be able to do it, so what? He does. So just step into the anointing and step into the calling and step into what God's provided for you and stop trying to do it in your own strength anyhow. Who said you were supposed to be able to do it? He's the, the operator. We're the glove. Let him be the hand. Amen? So I want you to, to challenge what goes on inside of you that disqualifies you from the blessings. I want you to challenge what goes on inside of you that says that maybe you're not measured up like somebody else may be measuring up. Reject it in Jesus' name and take that scripture that says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and He has anointed me. Walk in the anointing that the Lord's given us. Let's do the works of the Lord. We're sharers together in the promise of Christ. Amen? Verse 7 says this, I became a servant of the gospel. Some translations say, I became a minister. If you go back and look at it in the Greek, it says, dikonios. And I may not have pronounced that right, but the, 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 my heart was in the right place. I became a servant or a minister of the, this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people. You see that? And it's so easy to disqualify. Even Paul humbly recognized that, I mean, he was somebody who murdered and imprisoned. And he had all the knowledge. He had all the zeal. But it was misplaced zeal. And he took the knowledge that he had and it became religion. And he was puffed up with religion. And he thought zealously that he was doing the work of the Lord. But at the cost of believers lives and at the imprisonment of his brothers that he now had and at the and he knew that people took stripes on their back and they were mistreated because of what he's done so he was able to say i'm the least i'm the least this grace was given me to preach to the gentiles the boundless riches of christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in god who created all things let's back up and just I almost got, went here earlier, but I had to pull back on the reins a little bit. And he said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace to me, given me. And the word servant, the word minister can be applied there. Both of them are coming from the same word, which really means someone who's waiting on other people. Someone who has given themselves 
to the service of other people. They have given themselves to be a blessing. They're someone who is a waiter at the table. Um, there is one pattern the chief cornerstone that was set in place as the guideline and the principle and the example the stamp the template the blueprint for what a minister should look like his name is Jesus there are many people that we can learn from there are many people that we can can uh, glean from and everything like that. But folks, our example is Jesus. He is the cornerstone. I pray for and at times I weep for people who are in the ministry and are representing the Lord because a lot of times what you see is not patterned after that example. Because you do not, it is rare today that you hear a minister of the gospel and their model is that they be a servant. Jesus took his disciples that he had walked with, that he had, they had seen the miracles, they'd hear him make proclamations, they'd heard him stand up against the authorities of the, that day, they had seen the demonstration of who he was as Christ in the earth. And in the night before he was to leave them, he took the example of wrapping a towel around his waist and getting down on the ground and washing their feet. There are, I, uh, I think it's really dangerous, and I know I'm, I'm going in a, in a direction here that there are a lot of people that pursue knowledge, pursue anointing, pursue recognition and things like that so that they can be built up and have a platform on which to speak. But I just want to say Christ is our example. He humbled himself. He emptied himself and came in the form of a servant. He came and gave so that people could be set free. And I, I, want that to be, I want that to be a pattern. Let me, let me say that that pattern does not in any way limit moving in authority. It does not limit uh, setting things in order where things need to be set in order. It does not limit moving in power for healing and demonstration and proclamation and things like that. But it needs to be an attitude of the heart that we don't become big-headed and self-exalting. And, and uh, you know, it, it's... it's it may be a strong thing to say, but it is possible to walk close to the Lord and to become puffed up. Lucifer did it. He didn't even have, he didn't even start out with a sin nature. He wasn't God, so that means there was a potential for him to be less than God. But it doesn't say that he went around sinning all the time. But what he did, he allowed himself, even in the very presence of God, to be puffed up and then wanted to be exalted to the place of God. So I just want to say it's important that 
when God moves mightily through us and when God does work through us, that we don't use those opportunities to promote ourselves and to push ourselves so that people follow after us for that. If they are going to follow us, then let them follow us because of the Christ that they see in us. Paul says, after all that he had accomplished, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me. <clears throat> he says that he was the least of all, but this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of, of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry. And can I just pause right here on this word administration, okay? This is something that we need to get. There, there is something that the Lord is educating me in that I, don't, I can't even tell you that I'm, I fully grasped it and I don't think I've, I've uh, fully understanding the depth of it yet, but it keeps, the Holy Spirit keeps bringing me back to it and bringing me back to it, bringing me back to it. And I may talk about this and some of you may say, well, that's trivial. I don't understand why you don't fully get that yet. But with regards to the stewardship of the kingdom of God, so this word administration here has to do with it can be applied in many type of ways, but it would be um, applied to someone who has been given the responsibility to run a store while the owner's away. So like a manager of a store or an administrator of a business, someone who, who keeps things going and makes sure things are functioning the way they're supposed to be functioning, but they're not really the owner, okay? It could be um, used of uh, a a regent. I've used this term before. The, the term regent means that that person is not really the king. The king's gone away on a, an official visit somewhere, but while he's gone, he needs someone to run the country while he's gone, so they would put in place a regent. A regent is someone who administers the country while the sovereign is away, knowing that the sovereign's going to return someday. And so they'll be responsible for how things are being run, but that there has been given an administration to them. They've been given authority to operate while the sovereign is not here. And so Paul uses this example here that he wants to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. What is the mystery? He's been talking about Gentile salvation. What's relevant to Gentile salvation? It is that it is the expansion of the kingdom of God beyond just the boundaries of Israel. It's a broader scope. And there's something that's going on in the earth that we need to get a hold of. Look, and we're getting ready to get into something else. Heidi uh, used this very scripture that I'd been studying earlier when we were praying out in the, in the uh, uh, prayer room. Verse 10 says, um, this, is, this is amazing to me. This scripture has captivated me. And if I can, I'm going <sighs> to... So much. His intent, whose intent? God's intent, okay? His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in, heavenly, in the heavenly realms. Think about that. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, if we understand, I, I don't want to use dispensations because sometimes that is misinterpreted and has been, it's already got a theological con context in it. But I just want to say that there is one plan of God that spans all of time as we know it. When God 
put Adam and Eve in the garden, he already knew that the day was coming when they would fall. Scripture says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. There was already a plan in place to be able to redeem mankind. God made them aware of the tree of the knowledge of evil and gave them the instruction not to eat of the fruit because he knew that inevitably they were going to eat of the red. They weren't made to eat of the fruit, but fruit, the fruit, <coughs> the fruit. But because of human nature and because of, uh, of their propensity to, to pot potentially do something wrong and the trickery of the enemy, God had already foreseen what was going to be happening and he put something in place. Out of all of creation, if you read Genesis and Exodus, if you, anybody continuing to do that chrono chronological thing, I've got to catch up on a day. But um, reading the chronological read, if you read through that, you find that before there was a Hebrew nation, before there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their lineage, there were people in the earth that knew God and had a relationship with God. And they were not just people in Abraham's lineage. There were other people in the earth that are brought up there. Job is brought up as a righteous man. He's not in the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are other people that, that walked with God and knew God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In order to redeem mankind, God selected a, what was described as a small and insignificant people with regards to the earth, that he could bring the promise of salvation, that he could send his son through to, to bring restoration for the earth to the Lord. God's intent was to, to bring salvation, make it available, and then open the door for anybody who wills, anybody who would, to come and be restored back to, relation, to relationship with the Lord. We know that the scripture says that there's some that will not. But God still makes it available. So if we look at, if we look at the intention of, of God or the plan of God as only including Israel, then we've narrowed the scope because it's much bigger than that. God's intention for, was for the whole world to be able to, to, to come to know him or have the ability to know him. I'm getting into something that's really big here. And I'm running out of time. But God's desire is the manifold wisdom of God that on the grand scale of things that God wants there to be a communication of his purpose not just to a narrow, small group of people. But there is a setting in order of things with regards to the earth and God putting things in place. Okay, let's go back and look at this thing. It, says, it speaks about rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Okay, I, I don't want to... To, to blow your minds but let's look at some things here there's a story in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35 that's really powerful this is Nebuchadnezzar if you're familiar with the Babylonian Empire and I know that not everybody here is a history buff and doesn't just love history but Nebuchadnezzar is a prominent figure in 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 um, the events that happened to Israel he was one of those kings that had the Israelite people in bondage over there Daniel was uh, under the authority of, of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Nebuchadnezzar ruled a vast empire, the whole Babylonian empire. He was powerful, but he got so puffed up in himself that God ended up humbling him. You know what's amazing about that? He was a pagan king. It was a foreign nation. What relevance does it even have to the economy of God? I thought God only worked with just Israel and with those that follow that. No, this was a pagan nation. And it says that he exalted himself up, and because of that, God knocked him off his throne, 
And he, he ended up living like an animal. I can't remember how long it was. Anybody, how, how long? Seven years. He even grew hair, looked like feathers on his flesh. And he crawled around and people, you know, were able to see him out there just acting like an animal. And he was this great king. I mean, there's still statues, I think, in the London Museum that were from the Babylonian Empire. But look, this, this little section that I've selected from Daniel chapter 4, verse 35 through 37, this is something that Nebuchadnezzar himself spoke after God freed his mind and after he was being restored back to his throne. Because after seven years, he humbled himself and God allowed him to be restored. Okay, it's a fascinating story. You can read it later because we won't go into it all. Nebuchadnezzar says this, All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing in comparison to God. He does as, he's, as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, say to him What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, this is Nebuchadnezzar, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my the glory of my kingdom my advisors and nobles sought me out and i was restored to my throne and became even greater than before so after seven years of really moving around just like an animal his mind came back his sanity was restored his honor was restored and he's restored back to his throne amazing and in verse 37 now i nebuchadnezzar praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble amen there's a scripture in isaiah chapter 24 i'm going to read three three, three actually it's four verses 20 through 23 Again, speaking of principalities, of powers, places of, uh, high places of authority. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls, never to rise again. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison to be punished for many days. The moon will be dismayed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem for its elders and before its elders with great glory. So there's, there's, there's a spiritual dimension that maybe, you know, in, in our going to get groceries at the grocery store and you know, having to deal with putting tires on the car and having to deal with changing diapers on the baby and, and having to think about work and bills. And there's a, a certain dimension that we, we're caught up in with regards to living in life. But above and beyond that, there's a supernatural realm where there are principalities and powers in place that the Scripture says, and, and I'm not going to have time to get into that today. I looked at my watch and I don't have it on. Um, get into today that, that deals with principalities and powers, that there are places that were put in place by God some of those dominions, some of those places have been become corrupted over time. Why? Because men have released the reign. We have given up the rule. We have given up authority. And so we, we've allowed principalities to be set in place and, and things in place. Um, 
But God's wanting us to discover the authority that he's created us to, work, to, to walk in. And uh, I, am, I, am, I can tell right now I'm starting to skip across uh, a rock across the water. I'm not going to be able to have the time to be able to dig in and talk about it. But there's a lot of scripture here. There's a word that's used in this passage where it talks about, uh, let me go back to verse 10. It talks about, his intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. There's two words there. When we talk about power or authority or dominion or principalities, things like that, there are words that are mentioned here in Ephesians in, in, in three different places. But um, um, there's a word, there, there are various words that are used, but it's talking about walking in authority. When we talk about authority, we think about scriptures like Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, And when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you will receive power, dunamis, which is the exerting of power, that there, you will receive power to be witnesses. But there are other words that are used that have to do with, for instance, the word arche, which means, which is to rule, but it is an office of being given charge. In other words, when you're able to, uh, it says here that, that Paul uses this in reference to angels and demons holding dominions entrusted to them in the order, in the order of things. And so you could look at Ephesians chapter 1 and 21. It says there that... Uh, that, that, he was, that Jesus was raised up, seated at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. That Jesus was seated above all rule, authority, power and dominion. In Ephesians 3.10, right here where we're reading, that God's intent is that through the church, um, that his manifold, the wisdom of God would be shown and made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. In Ephesians chapter 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. There's a warfare that's going on up in the heavenly realms. And, folks, there are authorities that are in place in that because man abdicated authority. Man gave it up when sin came into the world. And God is using his people to reestablish and reassert his authority in the world. I have got so much in this that I'm not going to be able to share that is mind-boggling to me. But the word arche really means an office or someone has been given the right to rule in that place. There's another word that exousia um, that we really would do well to spend some time looking at, but it literally is the word that's used. To, I'm going to give you some definition. It says the power of choice or the liberty of doing as one pleases. Okay, that's, that's very light. It literally means to be given permission. The ability or strength with which one is endued, which he either possesses or exercises, the power of authority of influence or the right of privilege. The power to rule or government. So let, let's just, let, let's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let's, let's bring this back down to earth. There's two things that he's talking about. He's talking about like a position of authority. And then he talks about the ability to exert authority. This is not just about physical strength or even just spiritual power. Okay, When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we receive power from God. Just because we receive power doesn't mean we ever use it. You understand that? Just because you've received power doesn't mean you ever walk in that power. It doesn't mean you ever exert that power. So let's say 
that you're in a workplace, and in your workplace, you are there, you're a, a, a person, a, I mean, a God person, you're a believer that's sitting in the church. God's giving you power in his kingdom. God's giving you authority in his kingdom. But you're in a position where there's somebody else who's the head of that company, there's a supervisor over you, and you may have power, but really you're under authority in that place, right? You may see things that are going on with that authority that are out of place. They're, they're not doing right by the company. They're not doing the right thing. And you're over here working there. You've got the power of the kingdom working inside of you, but you see somebody's doing the wrong thing. You don't necessarily just go in there and go bombastic and tell them, we're not doing this anymore, we're going to do things. But in that position where there's authority, you can educate them with regard to, look, I just I felt like I needed to say this to you. You may have friends or associates. It could be someone in a business dealing that you're involved with. It could be family members that are getting involved in things where, look, you can educate them. There are consequences that come. It may not be... You may not be even putting the Ten Commandments out there and saying, look, this is sin or something like that. But you can say, look, if there are consequences that are happening among your employees because you are not treating them well. But what are you doing? You are speaking in authority. You're bringing truth to that person. You're helping to give them the opportunity to change the way they're functioning that will help bring a blessing to the rest of the company. So you are exerting authority even though you're not in the position of authority. You see that? It's, a, it's an authority of influence. The Holy Spirit can empower you to give you words that are impactful on that person that you're talking to. So in a sense, you may not be standing up and taking the helm of the ship and doing it, but what's happening? God's giving, putting you in a position of influence. Look at Daniel. Daniel wasn't the ruler of the nation. But he lived a godly life, and because of that, when there was need for the interpretation of a dream or there was need for wisdom, God exalted him because the Spirit of God was, because his nature, his character, the way he lived, the way he spoke, exemplified the nature of God, and they recognized the Spirit of God is with this person. In the same way, God can work through us to bring spiritual influence on the affairs of men, the decisions that are made in the business, the decisions that are made with your friends and how they work in their relationships across all of life. And what's happening in that? God is using the power that is put inside of you to set things in order within the realm of man. And what that does, it demolishes the strongholds of the enemy that have set in place for a long time. Well, this is the way it's always been done. Of course we're going to lie on those forms that go into the government. Of course we're going to do it this way. That's just how you undercut things. I mean, everybody does it. Yes, it's become a stronghold. It's become a norm. Everybody does that way. Why? Because nobody ever speaks up and says anything differently. But in so doing, in living a life and being the people of God, what happens? You're demolishing strongholds of the enemy. The principalities and power that have ruled and reigned in the heavenly realms that have manipulated men and have controlled their minds and, and thereby controlled their actions and then brought them in a place where they, rather than being able to receive the blessings of the Lord, of the Lord became under the consequences of their sin, the strongholds being broken down because we're exerting influence. We're walking in power 
and we're affecting how things are happening in the heavenly realms. Um, there's a whole lot more that I would love to go into in that area and just trying to bring this down and make it very practical. Folks, we have been empowered by God. You know, it is possible for a police officer to receive a badge. That's different. They now have an office. They can exert authority. A judge can exert authority. They can make pronouncements. They can change the course of people's lives by what they speak over them. That judge can arbitrarily say, you've got a long sentence or a short sentence because they have the power to rule. They have the power to take action. It is also par possible to have a police officer or a judge or a boss that sees something that needs to be spoken to and they just choose to turn away. And they don't do the right thing. There's consequences that come with that. So it's possible to have a position of authority and then not exert the authority that you have for good. Every one of us, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you, God's given you power to influence the situations and circumstances that you come in contact with. There's some of you that God's put you in positions of authority where you have the right to make determinations in, in, in the course of your company, the course of your family, the course of, of uh, the relationship that you have with people, that you can speak authoritatively and you can release blessings or cursings over that business. You can help reinforce strongholds that are there or you can help demolish strongholds. And you can establish strong, good strongholds as well. But God's intent, according to verse 10, let me read it one more time and then I'm going to close, okay? His intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. I'm going to have to stop right there. <clears throat> because I think the tanks are full. <laughs> Let me just make this statement. We are beginning to walk in a new level of authority. We are not underneath, even when we go through valleys, we've got a source. We've got a supply. God can make us victorious. If there is a giant that raises its head, he's coming down. Amen? If there's an obstacle that stands before us, it's probably stood before somebody else, and at some point, sometimes, somebody has got to demolish that stronghold. Somebody's got to break that thing down. This will become a, a stepping stone, and before long, you know, there were things that the people of God, God were challenged with. In the Old Testament, you'll find that after God revealed himself, what did they do? They took stones and made a monument right there. There's things that you're dealing with that one day there's going to be a monument. It's just going to be a testimony about what God's done. So my prayer for us, folks, I'm, I, I apologize to you in one sense. I got so much stuff up here, and I know I drug us through a whole lot of things. I hope that you're able to get a hold of something. But the God's leading us into something. We're going to start walking in more power and authority. We're not going to be underneath. We're not going to be snatched from side to side feeling like we're going through life with some kind of bungee cord attached to us that's flinging us from this side to that side. We're victims of our circumstance. God's going to give us the ability to walk on 
the water of our life to in the middle of the storm be triumphant, that God's going to help use those testimonies to help set other people free. And I feel like God's just cracking something open. I feel it right here on the inside of me. And everything that I've ever been in my life, been through in my life, I feel like is only preliminary to where God's taking us. So, so be it. I'll just say, so am I, according to that song. Let's stand together. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, when we consider creation and time, we are right here in this little thin sliver of time. There have been such a wealth of effort and work and purpose that has gone before us through generations and millennia to be able to bring the truth to us that we possess today. And God, it is vital and important that we, the stewards of your kingdom for today, your God, act and live and behave based on what we've received, your God, but that we live effectively as stewards so that not only do we accomplish what needs to be done, your Lord, that we pass the baton well to the generation that's following us. So, God, the things that need to be revealed to us, dear God, I pray that you would, um, Lord, help us to take pause in the midst of the busyness of life and to, to have a God moment, Lord, that we would take time to be still with you and to hear from you. God, I pray that you would visit us in our moving back and forward and all the things that are going on, Lord, that we would, we would move through our day with a, a consciousness of your presence and your purpose. And God, where we have the opportunity to influence things that have been commonly done, dear Lord, or the, the, um, the routine of doing things the same old, same old way, even though it's the wrong, wrong kind of way, God, help us to exert authority, dear God, and release your power and your truth into those circumstances so that you break down the strongholds that enslave men, dear God, and keep them under the control of the enemy. So, God, I can't say that I've eloquently spoken today, but, God, I'm, I'm, what I am speaking, I'm praying, is being released with an authority to, to crack the shell, dear God, to, to break off the, the case that's held us back, dear Lord, that it will initiate a process inside of us that will bring you glory. We are your servants, dear God, we're, but we're called with purpose and we've been given authority. So, God, would you accomplish your purposes through us this day? set the captives free demolish the strongholds of the enemy dear lord and may your name be glorified forever and ever hallelujah jesus lord release your anointing dear god to accomplish your purpose in your people in jesus name we pray amen amen